Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberg, and this is the program for you as a family caregiver, for those of you who are willingly, knowingly, voluntarily putting yourself between a vulnerable loved one and even worse disaster. And maybe you feel totally unprepared. Maybe you are totally unprepared. Maybe you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're angry, resentful, guilty. Whatever is going on, this is the program for you. You're in the right place because we get it here. And I'm bringing more than 35 years as a caregiver to talk about this issue to help fellow caregivers stay healthy and strong as they take care of someone who is not. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. If you want some more information, if you want to go out there and be a part of the program, you can send me a note from hopeforthecaregiver.com. There's a little form. It comes right to me, and I'll be glad to engage with you on this, talk with you, call you from the program, whatever is on your heart. If you got something you want us to talk about, we'll be glad to do it. Uh, we Chances are we've already hit the main subjects of it, but if you want to go deeper with it, just ask. You have not because you ask not. And that's why we're here. There's no other program like this for the family caregiver. We are the the largest program in the world for those of you who are doing this. And if you're not a caregiver, you're going to get something out of what we're talking about. But this program is for the caregiver, the one who is pushing the wheelchair, the one who is up late at night doing laundry, doing the meals, taking care of things, taking care of showering, bathing, personal hygiene, all those kinds of things, doctor's appointments, pharmaceuticals, dealing with somebody who has a mental illness and dealing with somebody who's an alcoholic or an addict, a child with special needs. There's so many issues out there that require a caregiver, and there's always a caregiver somewhere. Now, they may be estranged from them. They may not be able to connect close up, and some of you know what I'm talking about. You've had to lay down some hard boundaries, but you're still there. And speaking of challenging circumstances, many of you probably heard the interview that I did several weeks ago with a couple who had adopted a little girl, she was just a baby, who developed Huntington's disease. And then she ended up getting pregnant and having a child that also developed Huntington's disease, but she was no longer able to take care of the child because her disease had already progressed so significantly. And it was a nightmare for this family. But then they adopted their own granddaughter and took care of her. And the daughter has since passed away, but the granddaughter's still alive. And she's had to now be in institutionalized in adult foster care because she became so violent. And they were, they're, they're an older couple, and they were unable to properly care for her. They're still with her every week. They spend time with her. But there was one moment in the conversation that I wanted to start off with this program today. And I'm going to go somewhere with this and just, just hang tight with me. As as some of you may know in your caregiving journey, law enforcement can be a factor. And it certainly was in this couple's case. The daughter was stealing quite a bit. She was in, in compulsively stealing and, and disrupting and causing all kinds of issues. Huntington's disease, go look it up. It is a horrible disease. It's called HD. And they become... Very, very, very aggressive, violent sometimes, and and this girl had to be restrained many times 
taken out of the home in a straitjacket, the, the whole thing. And at one point, this couple found themselves before a judge who had no idea what this disease was doing to this individual. I mean, it has all the combination of, of Lou Gehrig's disease, of Parkinson's, of Alzheimer's, paranoid schizophrenia, the whole thing. It is a horrible disease. And they're standing before this judge who had no clue about this disease. And the judge said, basically, and I'm paraphrasing, sounds like bad parenting, and, and castigated the parents. And this judge, she had no clue. And as I talked to this couple, and you can go back and hear the interview on my podcast, hopeforthecaregiver.com. It's a free podcast. Go back and take a listen to it. They, uh, the father um, is Dr. Higgs, and he they're both PhDs. And he said, we had to take it. I mean, it's not like you could talk back to the judge. Then you get fined for contempt and everything else. And they just had to take it. You ever felt that way? That you just had to take it? A quick phone call, a quick search on the internet, and it would have helped this judge better understand what was going on in her own courtroom that she evidently was clueless about. And the judge, sadly, chose to go with an uninformed decision and a regretful lack of compassion. And I know that as you're listening to this, so many of you have been there where people have judged you harshly. They have come at you with, you know, sounds like you're doing this, but what's something wrong with you? Has to be something wrong with you. And you're doing this wrong or this wrong or it's your fault or whatever the case is, there's that harsh judgment that comes in. And you know what I'm talking about. We've all been there. You do this for any length of time and there's, there's always a critic who is uninformed and without compassion. Now, while the judge's comments, you know, break our hearts and are just grievous, I got to ask you, how many of us as caregivers put on that black robe as judge and make harsh and ill-informed pronouncements upon ourselves while looking in the mirror? How many of us pronounce that kind of judgment on our own souls? Countless caregivers spend way too much time condemning themselves, ourselves, for the out-of-control behavior of someone else. And, And I'd like for you to take just a moment. Whatever you wish that judge had said to those parents, who were just beyond the pale of, of weary and, and overwhelmed. They had been doing everything they knew to do. But whatever we wish that judge had said to those parents, how about we say the same thing to ourselves? Whatever we, you know, message of compassion and understanding that judge, we wish that she had said to those parents, 
How about we write it on a post-it note and put it on our own mirror? Would that be something that would be appropriate for you and me? I think it would be. You know, I've got a post-it note on my office door from a hymn that I love. The hymn is called Praise You the Lord the Almighty. You probably know that. If you don't, it's a great hymn. Look it up. But there's one line in there. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. That's on a post-it note. I've had it for five plus years. I've kept the same post-it note that's on my office door. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. You see, we have a judge that doesn't look at us this way because of Christ. And he has mercy, and his mercy is new every morning. What you're dealing with as a caregiver is beyond you. If you think it's not, you haven't done it long enough. It is beyond you. And it will take you into some very dark places. But see, the judge that we appear before has compassion and has mercy because of Christ. He took all of that dysfunction so that we could go to him and receive mercy. What post-it note are you putting on your door? Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. Abraham Lincoln once said, I have always found that mercy bears richer fruits than strict justice. We're going to talk about that more in the next segment. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll be right back. Persecuted Christians, they love their enemies, and they count it all joy to suffer for the Lord Jesus, but they need your help today. This is Bible League International, and in the Middle East one day, radicals showed up and burned down the house of Nora, nearly killing her and her four daughters, the youngest of which, four years of age, maimed for life with serious burns all over her body. You know what her crime is? Simply that Nora has been leading Arabic-speaking women to Christ, and they need Bibles there in the Middle East. And in Venezuela, a church has been rescuing women, some as young as 12, kidnapped and forced into prostitution by the drug cartel. They have paid dearly. In fact, one of the members was killed. His corpse pulled behind a truck. But I can tell you this group, even though they're persecuted, is focused on pointing these women to the hope of the gospel. They need Bibles. Bible League is sending God's word to 16,000 persecuted believers. We're halfway there. We need to wrap up by the end of June. So at $5 a Bible, $100 since 20, would you call 800-YES-WORD? 800-YES-WORD. 800-YES-WORD or give it sendbiblesnow.org. Sendbiblesnow.org. Today we conclude our week's emphasis on God's heroes and what made them great. Ever ask yourself, where are the Elishas, the Daniels, the Jobs, the Jeremiahs? Hello, I'm Sam Rohr with the American Pastors Network and another Stand in the Gap Minute. We long for leaders who can fix our desperate problems. We expect great things from others. Yet I propose that we look in the mirror and ask ourselves the question, God, what do you expect from me? God expects you and me to see God by faith like Elisha and to trust God like Daniel. But he expects us to walk true to God with integrity like Job and speak the truth of God with courage like Jeremiah. Yes, in our dangerous days, we need godly leaders. Pastors, fathers, mothers, children, elected officials. God expects us all to be those leaders. Join with us at Stand in the Gap Radio and TV in living out those qualities God ascribes to true heroes. Go to AmericanPastorsNetwork.net and stand with us. Tell them I can mend a broken heart and 
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. That is Andre Crouch and the Gospel Disciples. Tell them, uh, one of my all-time favorite songs, to heal the brokenhearted. We have another stark reminder of how broken this world is about what happened in Texas. And I wanted to talk a little bit about this in this context. I have some of my editors that I write for on a national level that told me that they may want me to write on this when the time is right. Sometimes you have to just let it all kind of sit for a while. But I figured I could have this conversation with you all here on this program because you understand it. I, I am of the mindset that whenever you see behavior like what this young man showed in Texas, some are calling it mental illness, some are calling it evil, some are calling it both, whatever. When you have somebody who is broken that completely, that this is what they choose to do, there's always a caregiver around somewhere who is ill-prepared, overwhelmed, and under-equipped to deal with such a person. The, the story is still unfolding, but you have a mother who is um, who has some level of drug history, and I don't know whether she's an active user or not, but she doesn't seem to be very present in his life. You have a father that nobody has mentioned, you have grandparents, particularly one, a grandmother, who this young man shot. And it appears that the grandmother was the closest in proximity to this extremely troubled young man. And then he, he shot her. Cops have been called out to the house. People were familiar with this young man and the... the drama that was going on at this house. I, I, I go back to the shooting down at Parkland, Nicholas Cruz. And the reports were that the cops were called out to the house 39 times. And my first question was, when that all happened, who called the cops? Overwhelmingly, it was this young man's adopted mother who was in over her head, again, ill-prepared, overwhelmed, and under-equipped to deal with somebody who had the level of dysfunction uh, and brokenness that this young man had. And as soon as she died, he shot up the school. And you can pretty much trace this with every one of these horrific scenes, is there's always one person a caregiver that is in proximity to this young individual who does this. And they're, they're just in it over their heads. And nobody knows what to say. Nobody seems to say anything to the caregiver about what does help look like, that it's okay to call the police and insist on certain things. Safety is the number one thing. And for whatever reason, a lot of people won't do it. Maybe it's embarrassment, shame. Maybe they're afraid to make the call because of the repercussions. Regardless of which, the, 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 the authorities must be engaged and must be informed. 
there, there's, there's no other way around this. This type of destructive behavior does not resolve itself on its own. It's not going to get better without serious intervention. And that intervention contact, the point of contact for that intervention is often a family caregiver. Actually, it's almost always a family caregiver. And if this individual is not stopped, if there's not an intersection between boundaries and this individual, they will continue on, as we saw in Texas, as we've seen in other places. I'll let other people deal with the gun issue, because that's not my issue here, other than when you have somebody who is exhibiting aberrant behavior out of control, any type of mental illness, it would seem appropriate to make some phone calls at that point and ensure that they cannot be a danger to themselves or to others. The same thing goes from getting behind the wheel of a car while intoxicated, which we just saw the husband of the Speaker of the House of Representatives of the United States do. There are a lot of conversations that need to be had about people who are doing things that put others at risk. But right now, I just want to focus on this individual, this grandmother. And I have maintained for a long time that one of the greatest assets to reaching these individuals with a clear message of what help looks like is from clergy. And that they can ask these families that they see are dysfunctional. If there's, if there's one parent missing and another one is on drugs, that alone should be a red flag that the children are at risk. And so we can make a call. We can have a conversation with whoever is left there and ask some pointed questions. Are you safe? Do you feel safe? Do you see things that trouble you? Can we have a conversation with a professional? All of these things are legitimate questions that engage this individual, not for them to be defensive, and it helps them, actually it helps disarm them so that they're not defensive, that they know that somebody cares. But we have to ask. We have to get outside of our comfort zone a little bit. And we have to ask people. And if we see something that is going on, we don't have to uh, become this tattletale society. I think this is where Christians can lead the pack. We become a ministering society. We become a people that, that care about one another, bear one another's burdens. But sometimes it starts with just a conversation. Do you feel safe? Are you okay? Are you concerned? Would, would it be okay if we had a conversation with a professional and see if we can't talk about this. This isn't a hindsight kind of thing. This is a teachable moment where we as a people can change up the way we engage and the way we respond. I, I know that everybody wants to get onto the political bandwagon, the gun wagon, bandwagon, all that kind of stuff. I'm not on any of those things. I'm on the caregiver path. And I understand the heartache involved for so many out there. 
I see it. I talk with them. It's one of the reasons I ask callers to this program, how are you feeling? We start a conversation. Let them know that it's a, it's okay to not be okay. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it really is. And this grandmother, there's no way you can tell me that she hasn't been living in fear and being troubled for some time with a young man like this in her house. But unless we penetrate into this broken, dysfunctional, lost, troubled environment with the clarity and the message of the gospel, they, they don't even have a fighting chance. Now, they may not respond well. It may not go well. But that's not, that's not a reason to not do it. That, that, I don't want to use a double negative. That's, that does not relieve us of the responsibility of saying it. And results are in God's department. But if we don't say anything, if we don't reach out to people that we know are hurting and scared and overwhelmed with a clear understanding of of God and his mercy and his loving kindness, then, then what are we all about? Micah 7, 18, who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Our God shows us mercy in our brokenness. Who are we to withhold this and reaching out to other people? Nehemiah 931. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them or abandon them, for you are a gracious and merciful God. Psalm 130. Out of the depths, I cry to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. We can cry for mercy because of the redemptive work of Christ that allowed us to go to God and ask for mercy. And my question is, are we willing to extend it? Do we see what's going on around us? We like talking about God's mercy for us, but do we show mercy to others? And part of showing mercy to others is reaching into their heartache and being with them, engaging with them. Thoreau said that we all live lives of quiet desperation. You don't have to go looking for it. You just have to be willing to see it. It's everywhere. And if we think that somehow we're insulated from this, we're wrong. It's everywhere because it is the human condition. And showing mercy is a reflection of the character of God. And mercy does not mean that you're letting somebody get away with doing something bad or aberrant. It means that you're willing to go and recognize their brokenness and be with them, comfort them, strengthen them. They are in distress. And who's going to speak to that distress? And all the others that you see on cable news and everything else, they all want to get out there and argue about the politics and the policies of it. But as Christians, we know better. Politics doesn't redeem anybody. Politics can't. 
The life-changing message of the gospel is what does it. And the founding fathers of this country understood this, that the human condition is corrupt. There is no legislation that can be passed by Congress, no executive order passed by a president that's going to transform the human heart. But the mercy of God Almighty does, can, has, and will. That is the great news that we can share with others. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. Target is in the bullseye because of its transgender bathroom policy. A petition by the American Family Association to boycott Target now surpassing a million signatures and counting. People have their own beliefs and stuff, but what can it hurt? What can it hurt? What can it hurt? Can it, hurt? it hurts our daughters. It hurts you. It hurts our families. It hurts me. It hurts all of us. Sign the petition to boycott Target at AFA.net. Hello, I'm Don Hawkins, here to tell you about Encouragement Live, 55 minutes of industrial strength radio encouragement featuring resourceful guests, plus practical biblical insights to help you face life's challenges. We'll be taking your phone calls, so plan to join us for Encouragement Live, Saturdays at 7.05 p.m. Central, 8.05 p.m. Eastern, here on American Family Radio. From the Pacific Justice Institute, this is The Legal Edge. Defending your rights as a Christian, a parent, and a citizen. Here's Brad Vegas. PJI is celebrating its 25th year anniversary of defending freedom on Saturday, October 22nd. Join iconic speakers like Mike Huckabee, Fox News commentator and former governor of Arkansas, and Charlie Kirk, founder of Turning Point USA, at the JW Marriott Anaheim Resort, a luxurious AAA four-diamond venue. You won't want to miss this very special celebration of justice. Support PJI by purchasing tickets or sponsoring a table today. Act now by visiting pji.org. PJI provides legal representation without charge. Get exclusive email updates by registering for The Legal Insider at pji.org. There's a treasure at the end of this narrow road I'm traveling, and it gives me a purpose for my life. Jesus is my treasure. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. How are you feeling? How are you doing? What's going on with you? Hopefulthecaregiver.com if you want to be a part of the program. If you got something you want to say, you want to let me know, you want us to talk about, whatever's on your heart, go out to hopefulthecaregiver.com. There's a little form there. Send it to me. It comes right to me. And we can talk about that on the program or however you choose to communicate. Also, there's so many resources out there. Please take advantage of the podcast. It's free. There's music out there. There's our blog posts, books, and so forth. Please take advantage of this. It's, it's hard enough to be a family caregiver. There's no point in doing it all by yourself. So let's get some help for each of us. And, and that's how we do it as caregivers. Friends don't let friends caregive alone. 
and healthy caregivers make better caregivers. When you get bad news, when you get a terrible diagnosis in your family with a loved one, how do you handle this? What do you do knowing that this is not going to have the fairy tale ending that you'd like and you're faced with a terminal issue, some type of illness that has come about and all of a sudden, okay, this got real, real quick. Well, my guest today, Kate Dresden, understands this, and she's got a book out, a new book. It's called In Times Like These, 30, minute, uh, 30 Mini Devotionals for Those with a Loved One Facing Terminal Illness. And she brings her experience to this and some insights she learned along the way. Um, she's been a writer for some time and has walked through this journey and decided to put it down and offer a path to fellow caregivers who also walk down this terminal illness path that leads all the way to the cemetery for us as caregivers. It's a hard topic, but she's done this with the intent of pointing us to Christ through this. So, Kate, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's good to be here. I did have a hard time uh, dealing with my brother's diagnosis and terminal illness, as everyone does. He was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer when he was 50, um, and he dealt with that for two years before he passed away. It came out of the blue. It was a shock to all of us because he was one of those people who was always healthy, never sick. But, And even though I wasn't uh, his caregiver that took care of him day in and day out like his wife did, I felt like anytime you have someone that you love that is facing a terminal illness, you are heartbroken. You need hope and encouragement and all of those who loved my brother needed that, whether it was his pastor or uh, friends or his extended family. I think that anytime you deal with terminal illness, you have people that are needing hope and encouragement. Did you find that a lot of people tried to figure out why this was happening to him? Well, you know, there's the question that everybody asks, why do good things happen to, I mean, why do bad things happen to good people? And, We know from the Bible that bad things happen because we live in a fallen world. And a lot of people do try to say things like, oh, you know, this is God's will, and um, this is for the best, and this is what he was supposed to go through. And all of those things are true, but it's very difficult to hear when it's your loved one. Yeah, How how did that make you feel when you heard—because those things are very cliché and— they're, they're really platitudes that people come up with because they don't know what else to say, so they say something like that. How did that make you feel as somebody watching this from the inside out now? Well, I was devastated um, because I knew I was going to lose my brother. So to hear someone say it's God's will is is hard to hear. Uh, you feel so so helpless because you can't change anything, and you feel so upset because your whole world is kind of turned upside down and someone reduces it to a short little phrase or something that that's supposed to make you feel better or that's supposed to all of a sudden make you say, okay, well, I guess that's true. And and then you go on. Uh, It's a very difficult thing. Uh, But I don't fault people for saying those types of things because so many times people just don't know what to say. And they're really trying. They have a good intent. They are trying, and they, they do have a good intent, but I do fault them <laughs> because <laughs> it is, it is, uh, it's, it's rather annoying and, and, and can be 
downright heartbreaking to people. And, you know, my favorite verse and one of my favorite verses in scripture is Job 2.13, where it says his friends came and sat with him quietly for seven days because they saw his suffering was great. And they didn't say anything for seven days. And I thought, wow, that's, I can't imagine a lot of people not say anything for seven minutes. And, and so when you, when you've got to, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the program because, okay, you walked through this with your family, with your brother, and you decided to turn this into something different with having devotional specifically gearing this in your book. And, you know, and, and if you don't know what to say, okay, well, here's somebody who has walked through this and can give us some, some thoughts on how to say something and and how to approach something, you know, one of the things I love, Kate, in the um, in the Jewish shiva, uh, when you have a the sitting shiva, when you when you are with the bereaved, they're sitting there in a chair and you don't initiate the conversation. You wait for them to say something to you, and then one of the things you can do that's proactive is you put their hand in yours and then put your other hand on top of theirs, and it just assures them of your presence there. You don't have to, you're not saying anything. You're just, you're being with them. Did you find mm-hmm. that that was the case with you when those meaningful exchanges happened where you just, people would just be with you? Did you find that? Yes. Um, not a lot of people can do that very comfortably or very graciously but because sometimes it's awkward for people. Um, but I found at church praying with other believers was very comforting, and knowing that they are t- trying to support you on your journey. That, I think, during our church prayer times were the most comforting, uh, when you have other believers that are just surrounding you with prayer. I also had someone who gave me some great advice, and they told me that instead of letting the hard times bring bitterness to my heart, to make sure that I found thankfulness, because the Bible tells us that we need to be thankful in all circumstances. And this kind of a circumstance, it's very hard to be thankful for what you're going through. But someone said that to me, and I never forgot that. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to make what I feel create bitterness in my heart. So I thought, I need to come up with a list of things that I can be thankful for or grateful for throughout this, this trial. And so I tried to find things that I could focus on instead of focusing on the years that I wasn't going to have with my brother or the years I felt like maybe he was cheated out of. I decided to be thankful for all the years I did have with him um, and be thankful that I had childhood memories with my brother, that others didn't have that experience. Um, Those types of things, trying to focus on the things that I did have instead of the things that I wouldn't have or or been cheated from, if that makes sense. It does make sense, and I think that it does reflect, again, the things of Scripture to be grateful, and, and it's hard to be depressed and angry when you're filled with gratitude and appreciation. And, uh, you know, people think, well, yeah, that's just positive thinking. No, I don't think that's, that's, that's too trite. That's limiting. That's going back to what you said earlier. It's a limiting phrase to say, well, that's just positive thinking. No. I think it's important for us to recognize the truth of the situation, accepting that, yes, this is painful, but there are also other things in here. Um, what are some other things that you found through this journey that 
changed the way you looked at it and gave you the the wherewithal to walk all the way to the cemetery with this? I think that it was really important that I separated faith from feelings. Feelings, as you know, go up and down. They change every day. And with a, a trial that is so emotionally packed, there are a lot of feelings, whether it's um, anger or uh, depression or all the, the whole spectrum. But I learned through it that faith is more important than feelings and that our faith is certain and feelings aren't. Plus, feelings can be deceitful sometimes. But faith tells us that our God is sovereign because he holds all things together, the Bible says. And I found that God's ways are, of course, higher than our ways, and that always God's plan brings him glory. I think of the Bible passage about Lazarus, and Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die, and he knew that he was going to raise him, but yet he was still sad. He was sad that he lost Lazarus, that he had to go through this, and he was sorry that Mary and Martha were going through it. And he, he was so upset about it that he wept, the Bible tells us. And that just says that even though there are times where bad things happen, God has a bigger picture. He had a bigger picture that he knew he was going to bring Lazarus back from the dead, and he was going to bring his father glory. And that's important to remember, too. Faith says there's a bigger picture in this plan. How did your brother, did he respond to these things as well? I mean, how did he deal with this? You know, my brother and I didn't speak about these types of spiritual things with each other. And so um, I'm not sure how, I, I never discussed how I was dealing with it. When I spent time with him, we never talked about those types of things. But I know that I never heard him complain in the whole two years of what he was going through. I never saw him depressed or or uh, in times of you know, hard things that he was going through. He always portrayed to me that he believed in Jesus and he knew that Jesus was taking care of him. And that spoke volumes. Even though he never said those words to me, it spoke volumes and it gave me encouragement of the type of Christian he was and the faith that he had in God helped me to be encouraged and want to be like that, to be as strong as he was. That's extraordinary that he was at peace with this. A lot of people are not, and they become very bitter. They become despairing and so forth. But clearly, he he didn't choose to do those things. And we're going to talk a little bit here in the next segment about some of the devotionals that you wrote to walk through this and grieve through this. Uh, I've said many times on this program and Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Well, we can't mourn if we're too busy raging out and despairing. And mourning means accepting what it is and grieving over it. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that with Kate Dresden. Her new book is called In Times Like These, 30 Mini Devotionals for Those with a Loved One Facing Terminal Illness. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Peter Rosenberger. Have you ever helped somebody walk for the first time? 
I've had that privilege many times through our organization, Standing with Hope. When my wife, Gracie, gave up both of her legs following this horrible wreck that she had as a teenager, and she tried to save them for years, and it just wouldn't work out, and finally she relinquished them and thought, wow, this is it. I mean, I don't have any legs anymore. What can God do with that? And then she had this vision for using prosthetic limbs as a means of sharing the gospel, to put legs on our fellow amputees. And that's what we've been doing now since 2005 with Standing With Hope. We work in the West African country of Ghana, and you can be a part of that through supplies, through supporting team members, through supporting the work that we're doing over there. You could designate a limb. There's all kinds of ways that you could be a part of giving the gift that keeps on walking at standingwithhope.com. Would you take a moment to go out to standingwithhope.com and see how you can give they go walking and leaping and praising God. You can be a part of that at standingwithhope.com. I'm Peter Rosenberger, and this is your Caregiver Minute. In the caregiving journey, we daily encounter high drama moments, and they can really wear on us. Some of those drama moments may be from our loved one. Others might be from friends and family or the medical community. And sometimes those high drama moments come internally as we mentally slap ourselves around over things we wish we had done better or wish we not done at all. You know, we're not going to eliminate all of those moments, but we can reduce them by asking one simple question. How important is this? See, that's the question. When we ask how important is this, it gives us and others an opportunity to prioritize and even detach from the circumstances so we can determine, is this really a crisis or maybe this is something we can just let go? How important is it for us to be calmer caregivers? And we can answer that one right now together. It's vitally important. This has been your Caregiver Minute with Peter Rosenberger, brought to you by Standing with Hope. There's more information at standingwithhope.com. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. How are you feeling? How are you doing? What's going on with you? You know, you're in a much better position to be a source of help and encouragement and strength to others if your headspace and your heart space are healthier. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. And part of being healthier is to learn to accept certain realities with peace even with tears rolling down your face, but with acceptance of knowing that he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. This is the beauty we have as believers that we can share with the world if we understand it ourselves. We're not going to be immune uh, to the, the things of this world that are broken and fallen. And that's what brings our guest today, Kate Dresden, onto the program with her new book. It's called In Times Like These. 30 mini devotionals for those with a loved one facing terminal illness. And she walked through this with her brother and she had to observe it going through. And his wife was the up close personal caregiver on day to day, but, but Kate walked through this with him and she watched it and she struggled with her own questions and her own journey of trusting God with this. And she has written about this and then sharing her heart. Kate, Tell me something that 
surprised you about this journey for yourself that you didn't expect maybe uh, on your own walk or whatever, something that just stood out as a surprise? Well, I felt like God was with me every step of the way, and he was patient even when I questioned or I didn't understand or I didn't like his answers. One thing I learned is that all of us, our, our days were ordained before one of them comes to be, the Bible tells us. So all of us are not promised long lives with health or wealth or any of that. God has ordained us each for a specific amount of time on this earth, and I just feel like I never looked at it like that before, that I always looked if someone died young, I just thought, well, they should have lived, or it would have been better if they would have lived a full life. But it's not that way. God has chosen something different for each of us, and I never really realized that or thought much about it until I lost my brother at such a young age. And that was kind of surprising to me, but it helps when looking at the world and accepting what God brings into your life, whether it's chronic illness or a terminal illness or other problems that come into your life, God has made your life unique and has given you this plan that He has for your life, and He will always uh, bring glory from it. So I'm thankful for that. And and that kind of changed my outlook when my brother got his terminal illness. And I I could see that because those are things we hear from a distance of suffering, but when it's up close and personal, we have to wrap our arms around that, wrap our minds around that as best as we can to recognize his sovereignty and his goodness, even when facing such a a harshness. I've, um, I've maintained also for a long time that caregiving doesn't stop at the cemetery, that the impact of being a caregiver can last for a very long time, long after the grass is growing over the grave. Is that a fair statement to make for you and your sister-in-law? I would totally agree. The death is one part of it, but even afterwards, there's a lot to process. There's a lot to learn. Things You can see things much clearer when someone goes through something like that. After the death, there is still much that you learn, even though you're not actively going through that particular situation. And I found that to be true. And that's why I didn't write the, the devotional book for probably five years after my brother's death, because I could see things a lot clearer in hindsight than I could while you were going through it as well. It takes a while to percolate, doesn't it? Just to kind of settle in you to, to really see some principles and precepts that you, you don't want to just, I think sometimes we rush too fast into some of these things. And I think it needs to settle in our spirits for a while. It sounds like that's what it did with you. What is a devotional that you'd like we don't have a huge amount of time here, but can you share at least one of them or at least the concept of one of them that you wanted to write about in this book? Sure. I talk about, in one devotional, about God, how God cares about our hurts. And, of course, the Bible tells us, I believe it's Psalm thirty-four, eighteen, that He is close to the brokenhearted. And He also says in um, another Psalms verse, I believe it's 56, 8, He talks about how He keeps track of all of our tears. Why does he do that? He does that because he cares about us, and he cares about what makes us cry or or what's going on in our hearts. And 
I just find that so comforting that the God of all creation, so powerful, cares about what we care about. And that is very comforting when you're going through something like this and you're watching a loved one suffer and die. It's just so difficult. And God is right there and close to the brokenhearted. Can't get better than that. What would you like to say to those right now who are dealing with this, uh, a terminal illness with their loved one? They know what's going to happen. They've gotten the news. You know, and I can think of a few people right now who are dealing with this reality with cancer diagnoses and so forth. Um, what, would you, what would you like to tell them? I would say that there is hope and there's peace and strength that God gives through this time. He tells us in his word, he gives us so many promises. And I really believe that the scripture has to be the foundation that you stand on each day because that's the only way to get through this very difficult time, and that he will provide the peace. He tells us, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. And God is there to help us and to, to minister to our hearts, and I think that's an important thing to remember. You know, as, as you said that scripture, it says, peace I give to you, not as the world gives. And I'm trying to think, what kind of peace does the world give? And I think sometimes in a case like this, when you've had somebody with a, in your brother's case, he had uh, brain cancer. The world's peace often looks like, well, at least he's not suffering now. You know, mm-hmm. his suffering is over. That's not really peace. In the world's eyes, that's really more like oblivion. And mm-hmm. there's no, it's no different than a, a euthanasia type of thing or putting down a, a hurting animal. But the hope of the gospel, Jesus said, I'm giving you peace that's much different than this. I'm giving you something else, a peace that he's not, at least he's not suffering. And from Christ's perspective and where your heart is, is that he's, he's with him now. He's not only yeah. uh, not suffering, he is in the place with the one. And uh, did did you find that that was that, that that still anchors you as you even hear those words now, knowing that your brother's with the Savior that he trusted, and that you can trust that same Savior as well for yourself and and for your friends and other loved ones that remain. Is talk a little bit about that? That's right, and we have such a hope. The Bible tells us that we will be reunited with them when we all get to heaven, and. So I don't have to wonder. I know that I will join him, and we will be together again. But even more so, just the hope that there is more to this life. And even though he had just 52 short years on this earth, it doesn't it doesn't matter in the biggest picture because heaven is our home, and that's where that's where we all want to be. This world has nothing for us. Our citizenship is in heaven. The Bible says, and that's that's where our hope is. That's where peace comes, and that's where that strength is, that we know we have something better for us, and that God is in control of all of that. It's a wonderful thing. I want to leave you with a quote, and I want you to respond to it in the context of what you've walked through and what you've written. That's from Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who was in a Russian gulag for many, many, many years. And he said, Bless you, prison. 
bless you for being in my life, for there, lying upon the rotting prison straw, I came to realize that the object of life is not prosperity as we are made to believe, but the maturity of the human soul. How does that grab you when you hear that? Yeah, that's very good, because our eyes should be fixed on God and His promises for us, not on what this earth has to offer, whether that's wealth or uh, a great job title or selling a million books or or anything that the world has to offer. Our eyes and whatever we go through should always be focused on Him and the promises that He gives. For there is no greater, there's nothing greater in this world but God. Well said, and I, I appreciate you bringing that. The book is titled, In Times Like These, 30 Mini Devotionals. And I like the word mini on there, by the way, too, Kate, because a lot of times in the throes of this stuff, you don't want to read these long treatises of people that do that. Just something simple. 30 Mini Devotionals for Those with a Loved One Facing Terminal Illness. And we talked about that at the beginning of this interview when you said a lot of people don't know what to say, but here's here's how here's a starting point. What Kate has done through her new book, and it's available. They go out to Amazon and get the book in times like these. Kate Dresden. And if maybe you know somebody who is dealing with this with a family member, it makes a great gift. If you don't know what to say, listen to those who have done it and are saying it. Kate, thank you for being a part of the program today. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. This is Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger, hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.